0: Sometimes people tell me, they're like, the Bible's really boring. What? what? What are you reading? You know, like, when you look at some of the stories in the Bible, they're anything but boring. And one of those is the story of Esther. I'm like, have you ever read the story of Esther? This is like a Game of Thrones season right here. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So we've been following along through these stories in the Old Testament about people who took steps of faith. And remember Daniel. Daniel served in the Babylonian Empire after the Jewish people, God's chosen people, that he said, hey, a messiah, a savior is going to come through you. Um, The Babylonians came in and carried them away. And then after them became the Persian Empire, conquered the Babylonian Empire. And we have Nehemiah who goes back and starts to rebuild. But there's still people in the Persian Empire from the nation of Israel. And this story, the story of Esther, is about a young lady who finds herself in this Persian Empire, thrust into a place where she has to make a step of faith. And that's what we've been talking about, right? As we encounter a God who is with us and for us, He gives us the confidence to take a step of faith, to change the status quo, to do something that doesn't make sense unless there's an invisible God behind them. And we're finishing our series this week on it. And we're ending it with a that I think affects a lot of us when it comes to taking steps of faith. We think somebody else will do it. If I don't do it, somebody else will do it. I don't have to take the step of faith because you know what? Maybe Alex will do it. Maybe somebody else in the church will do it. Maybe somebody else in the community will do it. Somebody else in the city, somebody else in the country will do it. Somebody else in the world will do it. And I mean, this happens to us all, right? We'll see an ad for something like maybe it says, kids in Africa need clean water. And you think, yeah, they do but I hope somebody else takes care of it because I don't feel like doing anything about it or I don't want to send money. Or that same thing happens sometimes when God brings into our life an opportunity to take a step of faith and we think, I can do that. But this couch is really comfortable. I hope somebody else does it, right? And we abdicate it to somebody else. We give up our step of faith and let somebody else do it. And a lot of times they do. And we think, oh good, I didn't have to do it. But see, that's the thing about steps of faith. A step of faith isn't something we have to do. It's something we get to do. A step of faith is an opportunity that we get to experience God on a deeper, more personal, more amazing level. And many times we're sitting back, we're like, eh, I'd rather not take the spiritual risk. I'd rather stay comfortable and safe. I'll let somebody else take the step of faith. And we're the ones missing out. God still does something. He still uses somebody. Somebody else takes the step of faith for but we miss it. And I think for a lot of us, when it comes to spiritual things, we're apathetic. Sometimes we're really driven in our personal lives, but when it comes to our spiritual lives, we're like, whatever. Pray, read my Bible, pursue God, take steps of faith, eh, whatever. And we would never be that apathetic in our real lives, or in our physical lives, but many times we're apathetic in our spiritual lives. And when it comes to taking steps of faith, we're like, eh, whatever. What we fail to recognize, though, is we've been strategically placed to take steps of faith in the world, and in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces. God has strategically placed us, as we're gonna see in the story of Esther, where she's strategically placed to take a step of faith. God has strategically placed us, and yeah, we can say, yeah, somebody else will do the step of faith, somebody else will handle it, but we're the ones who will miss out. It's not by accident that you're hearing a message about taking steps of faith. You've strategically been placed tonight to hear this message. You've been strategically placed in your community and in your world to take steps of faith. Don't miss out on these opportunities. Don't abdicate them to somebody else. Don't let somebody else take your step of faith for you because God wants you to experience him in a special way by you stepping out and taking that step of faith. And we're going to find here in the story of Esther that's exactly where she So Persia has now ruled most of the modern world, and they're fighting wars with Greece, but they're the dominant empire at the time. And there's a few Jewish people who have gone back to Israel, back to the promised land, but most are scattered throughout the Persian empire. And the Persian king is kind of a rich drunk. That's really how the book of Esther describes him. It starts out with him having this huge, lavish party, getting super wasted with a bunch of his nobles and best friends, and he calls to his queen, and he says, come out and do some exotic dancing for me and my buddies. And she says, uh, no, and he says, fine, you're not queen anymore, and he holds a nationwide beauty pageant, and he says, I want the most beautiful woman to come in here and be the new queen. And there is a Israelite woman, a Jewish woman named Esther, who he sees her, picks her out, and she becomes the new queen. Now, she's not alone. He has a whole harem of women, and now she is the wife of this foreign, godless, drunken king. And so she finds herself in this position, and the king's right-hand man hates Jewish people. We're not really even sure why he just hates them. He's annoyed by some things that have happened and it's just this deep loathing and he wants to destroy them and wipe them out. And so he's working to destroy all the Jewish people in the kingdom and the king doesn't know that his wife, his queen, Esther, is Jewish. And so let's look here in Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Mordecai, this is Esther's relative, says... When Mordecai had learned all this had occurred, that this man, Haman, was going to wipe out all the Jewish people, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and went into the middle of the city, and he cried loudly and bitterly, but he went only as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. The king was like such a party animal and all he did was drink and party all the time that he wouldn't even let anybody into the king's court who was sad or mourning or he was like only party, only good time people hanging out here in the palace. And so he went as far as he could. And there was great mourning among the Jewish people because this law had just been issued that all Jewish people in the empire were going to be killed. And they fasted and they wept and they lamented and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And Esther's female servants... And her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. So she hears, all my people are weeping, and my relatives at the gate weeping. Something really bad happened. What happened? So she sent clothes to Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he would not take the clothes. And so Esther summoned hat Hack. I practiced a long time to say this name. That's a weird name. hat hack. Uh, one of the king's eunuchs who attended her and dispatched him to mordecai to learn what he was doing and why and so hat went out to mordecai in the city square in front of the king gate and mordecai told him everything that happened as well as the amount of money that haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the jews you were not only were they going to get slaughtered people were going to get paid to kill them and mordecai gave him a copy of the written decree issued in susa ordering their destruction so that Hathak might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, employ his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther, and Esther said to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard who has not been summoned, the death penalty. You can't just walk up to the king. You could die. I feel so bad for Hat-Hack here. You know, he goes out and Mordecai's like, this is what you're going to tell Esther. And then he goes in and tells Esther, and Esther's like, this is what you're going to tell Mordecai. Hate me and that middleman. That was Hat-Hack. That was his life. Unless the king commands the golden scepter and allows that person to live, you can't approach. And I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. And I love this line. One of my favorite lines in the book of Esther and in the Old Testament, it says, who knows, perhaps you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Perhaps you are strategically placed where you are for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go assemble all the Jews you can, all the Jews in Susa, the capital city and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And so Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded. So you notice here, first of all, in verse eight, this step of faith appears to esther right esther's going about her life she's enjoying it in the palace the king hasn't summoned her for 30 days she's probably like sweet probably got drunk and forgot about me now i just get to live in the palace all of a sudden mordecai is really upset and this step of faith appears and she's like i was having a nice easy peaceful quiet existence and then a step of faith shows up a step of faith will always rock your status quo you're always going to be going along and you're like hey things are pretty smooth and then the step of faith appears and you're like Oh, I just wish I hadn't ever run into it and I'd never have to think about it or worry about it. And notice how it comes to her. A step of faith comes from somebody else. Not all the time, sometimes you just stumble into a step of faith, something you need to do. But many times someone else will bring to you a step of faith. They'll make you aware of something you didn't know about. They'll offer you an opportunity you didn't even think that you had the, uh, the right or the talent to take. Many times, faith, steps of faith come from other people whether they say something and they intend to uh, let you know about it or whether they say something in passing and it just resonates with you. Steps of faith many times come from other people. And so the step of faith appears and notice what her response is in verse 11. She says, it's against the law. You're telling me to break the law to go into the king and plead for my people. She's like, this is dangerous. She's like, the penalty is death. This isn't a small thing. Like many times when we take a step of faith, The cost cost is much lower. The risk is much lower. But there's always risk involved in a step of faith. You're never going to have a step of faith that doesn't require risk. If it didn't have risk, it wouldn't require faith. It wouldn't be a step of faith. Many times it'll risk our comfort. It'll risk our time. It'll risk our money. It'll uh, risk our pride or our ambition or our plans. But it always involves risk. And sometimes a step of faith might even uh, require, or might even risk your life or your livelihood. But he, Mordecai responds to her in verse 13, and he says, don't think you're safe from not taking the step of faith. See, that's the deception that we all fall into where we think, oh, a step of faith, that's risky. Staying over here where it's safe, no risk here. This is the safe place, that's the risky place. But what we forget is, that playing it safe is actually much more risky than taking a step of faith. See, when we play it safe, we're in danger of missing out on what God is about to do. When we play it safe, we're in danger of missing out on experiencing God on a deeper and more meaningful level. See, when we play it safe, we think we're being safe, but really bad things can happen to anybody, whether you take risks or not. Whether you take a step of faith or not, bad things can happen in your life. I'd much rather take a step of faith and see God do something incredible than play it safe and just deal with um, the, the reality of everyday life without a meaningful expression of God in my life. There's a delusion of safety there. And I think a lot of times when we're looking at a step of faith, we think this is so risky. This is everything that's on the line. And we don't think about everything that's on the line if we stay. If we stay, everything that we're going to miss. Um, when I was growing up, I had an ongoing water gun war with my uncle. My uncle Gordon, who lived in Pittsburgh, so we only saw him a couple times a year. But my sister and I, we had this ongoing water gun war. And it started one day because we had gotten new super soaker water guns. And, and he had pulled up to the house he was visiting and we were like, we're gonna soak Uncle Gordon. And we just ran up and started squirting him. He just happened to have a water gun in his pocket. He pulled it out and he drenched us. It was like, he didn't even know that we were gonna soak him. And then since then it just escalated. Like every time we saw him, we would save up our allowance and have bigger water guns. He'd have a bigger water gun. And anytime we thought we were gonna get the jump on him, we, he was always had extra water guns and he was always prepared. So this one time we were going to be at a family event and he didn't know we were going to be there so my sister and i we would saved up money we got the giant like you know they had the huge you could hold like a gallon of water in it you know and we were like we are going to drench uncle gordon he's going to be so unprepared he doesn't know we're coming no preparation, and we're like, we've got him. So we roll up, he sees us, we start soaking him, he runs around the house, and we're like, we've got him now, he's cornered. We come around that corner, and we're like, we are gonna be victorious, he has a hose. And he just sprayed us down, right? And so sometimes in life, we're like that. We think there's a delusion of safety, like if we play it safe over here, if we don't take a step of faith, man, we've got this thing. And we forget, you don't have your everyday life any more than you have a step of faith. Take a step of faith it's not more risky than living your everyday life and ignoring steps of faith in verse 14 mordecai warns her he says you know what you're absolutely right if you want to play it safe if you don't want to take the step of faith if you just think you can stay in the palace and live while the rest of your people die he goes god will find another way to save the people but you know who's going to miss out And see, I think that's what we forget when it comes to a step of faith. And we're like, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will give it to the church. Somebody else will serve in that ministry. Somebody else will take care of that problem in the community. Somebody else will talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Somebody else will do that. Somebody else will take care of it. We're the ones who miss out. Yes, somebody else usually does take care of it. Somebody else usually steps up. Somebody else, God lays it upon their heart and they take the step of faith and they do it. But you know who misses out? You and me. When we abdicate a step of faith, we're the ones who miss out. And that's what he's warning Esther. He's like, God's going to do it, but you will miss it. You'll be the one who misses the miracle. Because you're so focused on staying safe, you're not willing to take a step of faith. And then Esther responds, she says, fast and pray for me. Gather all the people. I'm going to gather my people. We're going to fast. We're going to pray we're going to make sure that our hearts and minds are aligned with god's if you're going to take a step of faith you're going to want to make sure that your heart and mind is aligned with god why because most of the time my heart and mind is aligned with doing things that are comfortable and safe and feel good that's what i want to do most of the time but god wants to do things that change the world that make me spiritually grow that do good for other people and that glorify him and the only way I'm going to get God's mind in me is by spending time with God in prayer, and his word, fasting and praying, aligning my desires with his desires. And that's exactly what Esther says, is pray for me. Pray that the king doesn't kill me. Pray that he saves our people. Pray that I have the courage to take this step of faith. And then finally, she has this, this powerful statement here at the end of verse 16. She says, if I perish, I perish." She's like, all my people are being threatened anyways. There's no safety. What's it really going to cost me if I take this risk? If I perish, I perish. You know, I think sometimes we look too often at the risk and too little at the reward. We too often look at, oh, what will happen if I take the step of faith? What if it all falls apart? What if it doesn't happen like I want? What if it costs me something? And we don't think about all the great things that God will do through it. See, I think many times we're worried too much about the cost to us and too little about what God's going to do in us and through us when we take a step of faith. See, I think sometimes we're too worried about losing our comfort and we're not that worried about whether or not God actually moves in our lives or in our community or in our world. I think sometimes we're, we're focused on the wrong things and so we take steps of fear rather than steps of faith. And remember, that's how we started this whole series. We talked about, in our lives, we either take steps that are defined by fear, and we're paralyzed and we're scared to do something because we don't know what's gonna happen, or we take steps of faith because we believe there's a good God who's all-powerful at work in our lives, and he's leading us to take steps that change the world and change who we are. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, when we get to the end of our lives, are our lives gonna be defined by steps of fear? Or steps of faith? As we look back, are we going to say, I did a lot of things because I was afraid of what was going to happen, so I played it safe? Or or are we going to say, I took a lot of steps and risks for God because I believe there's an invisible being who's at work in our world doing good in me and through me? Is your life going to be defined by steps of fear or steps of faith? I know when I come to the end of my life, I want to look back and say, I took steps of faith. And they didn't always turn out like I thought they would. In fact, I can tell you right now, I've never taken a step of faith that turned out like I thought it would. Because usually, if it's a step that you can plan out, it's not a step of faith. But I don't want to reach the end of my life and say, well, I played it safe. I've safely arrived at death. The purpose of life is not to comfortably, safely arrive at death. The purpose of life is to take steps of faith and change the world. So as we come to the end of our series, I think there's a couple questions we have to think about. Is there a step of faith that you advocated to somebody else? At some point in your life, did God say, you should do this? You felt this, you're like, here's an opportunity, here's a need, here's something I should do, and you're like, ah, somebody else would do it. Maybe it's time to go back and take that step of faith back. You know, just because you missed that step of faith doesn't mean you can't go back and reclaim it. Many times there's opportunities to say, you know what, I missed that opportunity, but there's a new opportunity tomorrow. What step of faith did you advocate to somebody else that so you can go back and claim? And what was the last time you took a spiritual risk? Many times we take professional risks. We even take physical risks, you know, uh, jumping out of airplanes or doing extreme sports or, you know. But when was the last time you took a spiritual risk when you said, hey, you know what? I believe there's an invisible God, and so I'm going to do this thing that doesn't make sense unless God is real. Sometimes we don't realize we're taking steps of faith, but when you stop and think about it, it's been a long time since you took a spiritual risk. It's been a long time since you did something that doesn't make sense unless there is a good God who loves you behind you. And finally, I think the best way to end this series is by saying, take a step. We've been talking about steps of faith, and we've talked about all kinds. Maybe this week you're ready to take a step and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're ready to take a step and say, I want to be baptized. Maybe you want to take a step and say, I want to be a part of a small group. I want to take a step and uh, talk to my friend about Jesus. I want to take a step and serve the community. I want to take a step and be more involved in some way in the church. Maybe there's another step. Maybe God's leading you to take a dramatic step and, and move and help those kids who need clean drinking water. Or move to a different state or city and impact that place for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for encouraging us to take steps of faith. And God, I'm thankful that we don't have to take them alone. We don't have to take them in our own strength because if we did, they wouldn't make any sense and we'd fail. Steps of faith only make sense when you're in them. And Lord Jesus, I ask that you will empower us and lead us to take bold steps of faith for you. God, forgive us for so often defaulting to steps of fear rather than steps of faith. Lord, forgive us for thinking that taking a step of fear is safe And, Lord, remind us that the most dangerous thing is to miss what you're about to do when we bypass the step of faith. And I pray this all like I believe Jesus Christ would. Amen. We're going to ask our band to come back up. They're going to play for us as we get ready for communion. And communion is a special time where, as followers of Jesus Christ, we celebrate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples right before he died, he says, do this to remember me. Because our normal human tendency is to forget what Jesus did. You know, no matter how great someone does something, our tendency is to forget. Why do we have history class? Because no matter how great something someone did, our tendency as a people is to forget. And many times in our everyday life, we forget what Jesus did. We forget who he was, how he lived, and how he sacrificed everything for us. And so he gave us this symbol of his broken body, the bread, and his poured-out blood, the juice. And those are symbols that Jesus Christ died for us. But the Apostle Paul, he warned the early church, he said, this is the thing for followers of Jesus Christ to do. He's like, if you're real hungry for bread, this isn't time where you come in and like, sweet, free bread. But it's a time to remember Jesus. If you say right now, I'm not sure if I'm following Jesus. I'm not sure if I want him to be my Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul warns us. He's like, don't take it. You don't have to take it. He says, once you've decided that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that you want to live for Jesus, that you want him to control your life and affect how you live and love, he says, That's when you take this to remember what I've done for you. So our band's going to play. I'm going to invite you to come up, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and just thank Jesus Christ that he died in your place and my place. That God himself, when he looked at how messed up we were and how much we messed up the world, he didn't come into the world and say, man, I'm going to destroy this place. But he came into the world and said, I'm going to die to fix it. And he begins to change us from the inside out when we come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, save me, change me.